Well, good morning. It's our, in essence, Sunday Christmas Eve service, right? So we're just kind of pretending. It's kind of like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood a little bit, right? We all I'll put on my little jacket and we all have a little music and pretend it's Christmas Eve because we're a little early, but that's okay. Um, as we gather this week and we, you know, we have such rich blessings even in the room with friends and family and the ability to fellowship and a God who loves us. So it's it's just a wonderful time as we look at the lights and everything and remember the real gift that we were given. Um, all that, you know, I was thinking about this week and it reminded me uh, Christmas morning um, back when I was growing up. My grandpa loved his favorite restaurant in our little hometown and he'd always take us out for breakfast and it was so fun. Uh, and Grandpa, his, his staple was he would always have Eggs Benedict. That was his thing. He had to go to the same restaurant, have Eggs Benedict every Christmas morning, and so we would do that again and again and again. But it was always interesting because just before Grandpa would order, he would always ask the waitress, who was the same year after year, a special request. And he'd hand her over a hubcap from his old Studebaker, and he'd say, would you mind serving me my Eggs Benedict on this old hubcap? Which she would always comply. It just kind of made me funny, or made me wonder what was going on. Finally, one year as we're getting older, uh, she asked him, she goes, I just have to ask, Grandpa. She goes, why do you always have me serve you your Eggs Benedict on Christmas morning on your hubcap? And Grandpa simply replied, there's no plate like chrome for the holidays. Uh, <laughs> wow, I think I'm done here. <laughs> and I'm probably going to get bad ratings on the internet as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing like telling a fabricated story on, on Christmas Day, huh? You know, the point is, it is good to be home for, for Christmas and... Uh, it's always an exciting time for most people. Some people struggle with it, but it's an exciting time as we look forward. You know, especially if you have children in a home, which we're kind of absent from that this year. We have our adult children that come back, but you know, when the kids were little, it was it was always fun. And whether you're like Richard and Ellen, you get up every morning and everybody has matching pajamas to come down for Christmas morning, or you know, there's you got to know them to know that joke. Um, he hates matching outfits. Uh, you know, you have the Christmas music on. You, you know, you've got the the, the, the fruit cake that's been there passed around for years or whatever's going on. Christmas is always just fun, even with, you know, the cultural things that we do with the trees and all that. It's just something that we look forward to as a special thing. And, uh, you know, when we were little, we always had the presents for the kids and stuff. We always tried to tell them the real meaning of Christmas, which is, for you Sunday school people, what's the real one word answer? Jesus. Jesus. That's a Sunday school answer for everything, right? Jesus. And you always get a star when you do that. Um, but the reality is this. What were the kids, and actually quite selfishly us, really always more interested in? The presents, right? We always wanted to see what we got and see the, the faces of those who received our gifts because we gave them the best gift ever, right? You know, that's what my daughter-in-law says. Every time she gives my son a gift is, this is the best gift ever. So, of course, he's got to comply like, oh, my gosh, yes, this is it. Once again, every year I get the best gift ever. You know, you just keep topping it and topping it. But the reality is the best gift ever was Jesus. And we used to celebrate in simple, goofy little ways when our kids were little like, we would bring out a birthday cake on Christmas and we would have Jesus' birthday before Christmas because it was about him. Um, Luke chapter 2 tells us about this special present that we receive at Christmas in verses two to, or 6 to 7. 
And it simply states this, it's the, the scenery is Joseph and Mary have come into the city and uh, there's no place for them except to go out in this barn and they are with the animals. And you know, for anyone who's ever been out to Gardner Village or on an actual farm, it doesn't smell like potpourri and roses, does it? It smells like poopery and animals and other things. You know, it's quite a different odor. Um, yeah, that was a yeah, joke. That was another joke. I just but I'm, I'm sneaking that in there, right? Um, they don't get any better than this, so just keep praying. Uh, but it wasn't a pleasant thing. But yet, in the midst of all this, God sends this special gift. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. It says, while they were there, being Joseph and Mary, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them in the end. You know, it's interesting as we kind of come to the culmination of Advent and we talk about the first gift that was presented from God to us, the greatest gift, and how God presented that gift to us, um, that it's remarkable to think that who Jesus was, the Almighty One, the very Son of God, the, the God who could calm the seas with just a word, who could create the heavens with, with just his, a spoken word to, to put them into place, who could move mountains, who could heal lepers, who could change people's lives. The very God who could do all that came as a simple baby. John chapter 1 verse 3 tells us this, that through him all things were made. And that kind of gives us a perspective of who Jesus was. Through him all things were made. And now I don't know about you. I I at one time thought I was a woodworker, and I at one time thought I was a mechanic, and a carpenter, and a house repairman, and a plumber, and then reality kind of hit, right? I mean, <laughs> I struggle with just doing those simple things, and as you know, I love to go out in the mountains, go camping, and I get out there, and I see the vast beauty of everything, and the change of the colors, and even if I go back to the same place again and again, the way that God ordains creation, it's different every time. There's new branches on the trees, or maybe a new little path, or new flowers growing somewhere. And the majesty is that it, it just it continues to change again and again and radiate that beauty of God that He is ever living and ever active and ever changing. And you know, I, I look at that and I think that, wow, the majesty of the God who created this came in that first present as a baby. He didn't make a grand display. In fact, his arrival that first night um, kind of gives us a clue. His, his quiet arrival on the scene and his, his rescue mission to save us gives us a clue about how we respond to him today. And that's kind of the focus of what we're talking about is we've looked over the last four weeks and we'll remind ourselves of how the shepherds uh, the Magi or wise men, um, the angels, and others responded to the birth of Jesus. But Christmas is really about how we respond to Jesus, isn't it? Our personal response and our, our, our decision-making, our, our free will, if you want to call it that, of how do we choose to respond to the Son of God coming to save us. 
It's ironic that the one who came to welcome us back home in that rightful place of, of creator and creation, the irony is that as he came to welcome us home, the world did what? It rejected him. The very one who came to reestablish us in our rightful place to, to bless us and, and to save us, most of the world said, uh, no, I, I don't have time for you. You know, life is busy right now. The bills are coming in. You know, Aunt Gertrude's got the gout again, and all this is going on. I've got to make dinner, and I just don't have time for baby Jesus to come into the world. You know, no one really welcomed him initially. You think even before the wise men got to him, actually some two or three years later, it wasn't Christmas Eve as we try and picture it. It was a couple years later. And even as the shepherds came in, it, it was a while before they came in that Joseph and Mary come into this town and Joseph is desperately trying to find a place for his pregnant wife who's about to give birth. And, you know, I've never given birth to a baby, but my wife has. And I'll tell you what, if you have a nine-month-old pregnant lady on a donkey, um, your life as a husband is not good right now, right? <laughs> because she is not comfortable and she is not happy and she just wants this thing done, right? So here comes this husband Joseph with his wife coming in for the census and, and she's trying to comply as best as she can as a young bride, a pregnant, bursting bride that is about to give birth. And they come into this busy, bustling city with you know, all the smells and sounds of the city and Joseph is going from place to place to place saying, please, my wife is pregnant, can we stay here? And the answer is adamantly what? No, we don't have room for you. You have to go someplace else. And I can just, in my mind, picture the anxiety that Joseph is going through, going, oh my gosh, what have I done? I mean, I've dragged my wife here to, to adhere to the law, and, and she's pregnant, and I can't provide for her right now. I can't even get her a place to to rest and to to have the baby and finally one innkeeper says you know what i i we're full we're over capacity we've oversold the rooms we've overbooked the place but you know what for whatever it's worth i've got my barn out back if you guys want that it's all yours what a picture what a picture i mean even now what would Fox TV and CBS and NBS and, and NBC and all these stations do if, if some lady had to go out in some barn out in the middle of nowhere to give birth because no one would let her in? Wouldn't that make the news? Maybe even above COVID and politics? I mean, people being like going, what a tragedy is this? How inhumane this is to have to have a woman give birth outside in a shack. Even today, that would have impact in our news, wouldn't it? And yet they get out there, and the world rejected them. But Mary and Joseph were together. They were family, finally husband and wife, a roof over their head. They found a simple little animal trough to make a manger out of and put some straw in there and laid some cloths, some rags and that down in that simple trough to, to make it comfortable. And, and then Mary gives birth. Nothing but the chickens clucking and the cows mooing and 
the sheep baying and looking at this woman who is giving birth to this child with just her husband there. No one to help. No nurses, no, no one to get hot rags and clean things up. Just her and her husband and her baby. All of them, I'm sure, quite concerned, you know. We worry about COVID today. If you were that young mother giving birth in a barn, what would you be worried about, right? All the things, the animals and stuff. But this was the introduction of the King of Kings into the world, the very Son of God, the creator of all things, came in so extraordinary and under-evaluated. And the whole time, the world is going on in their busyness, and they don't have time for him. And even when the shepherds finally arrive on the scene and they run out telling everybody that today for you in the city of David, a savior has been born, people closed their windows and lit their candle and had their simple meal inside their tiny houses and didn't have time for Jesus. That was the response of the world. Jesus comes in essentially as a, as, as a rescue mission to save us in this, this unimaginable way and in, in, in this lowly way that sometimes because of our beautiful Christmas stories and traditions we lose touch with the reality of that setting and, and how meager it really was and the great triumphal entry of God into lowliness. You know, I, I think about you know, what it would be like to have to leave my house to go to a, a third world country and to make a, a home out of pallets and sheet metal out uh, outside of some landfill some, somewhere and take my family with me. And yet the Son of God leaves the holiness of heaven in all glory and all majesty and all purity with no sin and comes down to this world filled in the darkness of sin, but not only that, to a world, a culture, a nation that rejected him, that didn't even want him here, and then to come in even further into these absolute poverty setting alone. That's pretty astounding, and it's pretty irregular, isn't it? But the point of that whole thing is that we remember that the world rejected him. It rejected him as he came in before he was born, where Joseph is asking and saying, do you please have a place for my wife? She's pregnant and about to give birth. And the world said what? No. When the shepherds made the announcement after Jesus was born and went out proclaiming the birth of Jesus to the people that night, the world said no. And even as Jesus grew as a child, the world continued to say what? No. Up to the point that we celebrate the empty cross because Jesus is not there, that he died for our salvation. And the Bible tells us if we die with Christ, we shall also rise with him. And still, even at that point, as he comes to save the world, the world said what? No. What an audacious response. What a waste of the most precious gift ever. What a tragedy. I mean, some people read Homer's Iliad and these other things and think, oh, that's such an amazing tragedy. It's like, have you heard about the birth of Jesus and what the world did to him? That's a tragedy, right? That's a tragedy. 
Our challenge this morning is to consider our own personal choice and how we respond to the Son of God, fully God, fully man, come as Emmanuel, God with us, to redeem us, to save us, as we read those words that for unto you this day, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. For who? For you. The Son of God has come to dwell within us. What is our response this Christmas to the birth of Jesus? I mean, we have the beautiful lights and the trees. We have all kinds of decorations. We have presents under the tree, hopefully, right? We have food. We have all this stuff. We have family coming over, some a little bit, not as much as other years. We have the busyness of holiday shopping, and now Black Friday is 31 days a month. <laughs> but what is our response to Jesus, the Son of God given for us? There are so many misguided responses, especially by the world, and when we put it in that perspective, we see the tragedy that really happened. And the problem is, even today, the world continues with the gospel, the good news message of Jesus, it continues to say what? No. In fact, most people in today's society, when they think about God, even in our state, with the predominant religion and the other religions, most people think God's concern with us is about our behavior. <coughs> right? Am I good or am I bad? Right? Are you a good person or a bad person? We think that's what God's concerned about. Are you a good boy, a good girl? Or are you a bad boy, a bad girl? Because everybody knows if you're not a good boy, you get a lump of coal for Christmas, right? From that guy Santa that stole Christmas from Jesus, right? Are you good or are you bad? Our world thinks of that because we look at our own goodness. Actually, what I should say is I stand corrected is when we look at God, we think he's concerned about our behavior we don't look at our own goodness, we look at our less badness. <laughs> you ever thought of that? Our less badness, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm less bad than Ken, you know. I'm not, I'm kidding, you're much better than I am, Ken. I'm bad. I'm bad. -ba -ba <laughs> but we look at our less badness and think that's what God is concerned about. Um, if you're into astronomy, um, you know, we have planets in our solar system, right? We have one solar system among many in the Milky Way in the universe, and there are many universes. But let me put it in perspective this way, that when we consider our, not our goodness, but our less badness in comparison to how God is concerned about us, we kind of look at it this way. Let's say that um, this bad person is Mars, right? And they do all the good they think they can in this planet called Mars. Well, you and I are on the planet Earth, right? And the good news about being on the planet Earth is that Earth is twice the size of the planet Mars, which means my goodness is twice as good as Mars, right? Now that's pretty good. God's gotta be happy with that, right? Because I'm twice as big, twice as good as Mars. That person, right? God's gonna be happy with that. Well, here's the reality of our comparison. If you go on www.space.com, you'll find this out. God is more like the center of our solar system that, not a planet, but that star, that raging gas fire that we get light from called the what? Sun. The sun. Ooh, a little subtle 
thing there, right? The Son of God, the Son. <laughs> See how I snuck that one in? Did you catch that? Son, Son, S-O-N, S-U-N, you got that? Okay. God is more like the Son. Tara finally got it. That's good. <laughs> we look at Mars and we think, well, poor Mars. They're only as good as that, and I am twice the size and twice as good as Mars, so God must be happy. But then I turn my eyes to the sun, and I realize that space.com tells me that I can fit 1.3 million Earths into the sun. Now suddenly my goodness or my less badness doesn't look so good, right? I'm happy because I'm twice as big, twice as good as Mars, but you can fit 1.3 million of me in the sun and still keep going. Now my goodness or my less badness, my behavior, um, doesn't look so good, does it? It's pretty insignificant. Now maybe you've heard of some of these people. Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy, Jack the Ripper. You know those names? Evil men, right? Oh, bad, bad, bad boys. Well, the truth is, when com in comparison to God, our goodness is closer to them than it is to God. Right? We look at them and say, oh, for shame, those are evil, bad men. But when we compare ourselves to the holiness and goodness of God, our best attempt at good behavior is more like those evil men than it is like God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, 23 tells us a simple truth. For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. This holiday season, this Christmas, I want us to remember that God took a huge step toward us. When we were in trouble, when our hearts were turned far away from God, in fact, running away from God, when the Creator tried to restore us, the creation, to His presence, we ran away. In fact, if you want to get biblical on me, we can go back and look that thousands of years of Jewish behavior teaches us that good behavior doesn't cut it, right? The scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees kept the letter of the law, and it did them no good. We need to realize that in this issue of thinking God is concerned about our behavior and our goodness is missing the mark. It's, it's wrong. It's off kilter. That no matter what we do, even if we try harder, you ever do that in your Christian life? You just try harder to be good. Oh, it's so frustrating, right? Because we try so much harder and then we blow it again, right? And then we've got to get back and try harder again. It just doesn't work. And what God is trying to tell us, he's like, I'm not concerned about your behavior. I'll deal with that later. What I'm concerned about is being near you in relationship. I love the video that we watched right before the message that uh, the guy talks about Santa stealing the true message of Christmas, right? That we really don't have any relationship with Santa Claus. Think about that. That's kind of a wicked thing, right? Santa Claus. Anyway, that's another bad joke. But we don't have a relationship with him. We don't sit down with Santa, you know, on July 4th and be like, hey, dude, you prepping for Christmas? How you been? I haven't seen you for a while. 
We don't have him at family get-togethers except once a year. And then he comes at night when we're not awake and he does his thing. And then he leaves and eats all our cookies and milk. <laughs> you see, Santa's just about what we can get, right? What he's going to give us. We write letters to Santa, still as adult. Christy put seven letters in the mail just yesterday <laughs> to Santa on what she wanted because she couldn't fit it in one envelope. You know, and told Santa how good of a girl she was. But you know what? It's just about what I can get. When Jesus came, it wasn't about what we could get in that baby in the manger. It was about what God could give and offer us. And in that relationship with him, as a person and as a savior, when you read through the New Testament, isn't it all about the relationships that Jesus had with different people? Some good, some bad. Some failed him. Some stayed with him. But it was the entirety of his 33-some-year life about the relationship with Jesus when he said, Come and do what? Follow me. If you abide in me, my Father abides with you. It's about being in relationship with Jesus. So this Christmas, how is your response? Are you looking to what you can get and what else is going to pop up tomorrow on that Black Friday sale at Home Depot or Harbor Freight or Lowe's or uh, Mary Kay? <laughs> or are you looking at the joy of the season and what Jesus has done for you and in you with, with you and restored the relationship with him? You know, I think of the story with Mary and Martha, and both of them love Jesus. We read that in the New Testament, right? They both love Jesus. But when Jesus is at their house, there's that one moment when Jesus is with them, and, and uh, Mary and Martha are there, and Martha's getting a little perturbed. Now, I know we can't relate with this, because this, we would never do this. But Martha's like, Jesus, you need to do something. And he's like, uh, excuse me, I am. What, what, what do I need to do? And she's like, Mary is sitting there just listening to you and being in your presence. She's not helping clean the house or anything. And Jesus is like, yeah. He's like, Martha, you need to realize what's important is not all the stuff you're doing to clean the house and make the dinner and make it look pretty and good. Mary has realized what's important, and that's to be in relationship with me. And here are two women who love Jesus tremendously, and yet one of them in her response to Jesus until Jesus confronts her with the truth, which the truth will do what? Set you free. It may make you angry first, but it will set you free, right? It may hurt, but it will set you free. Where Martha had to wrestle with the fact that all that she was doing to try and impress Jesus to clean up the house and make the dinner and do all this stuff to make Jesus a happy guest didn't matter. What was important was the time they spent together. That's where the world missed Jesus. That's where they missed him. Let's look back quickly at uh, the responses of the people in the last four weeks that we have looked at and consider our response with Jesus. Well, first we looked at the prophets. Remember those men of old, the Old Testament guys that gave all the prophecies about Jesus, uh, like Micah, some 700 years before Jesus was even on the scene and, and the other prophets. Here's what their response was that we can learn so much from them when we look at them about how they foretold of the coming Savior. 
They foretold of the one, the Son of God, who would come, Emmanuel, God with us, and save the world. They never saw him. They never met him. In fact, he didn't even come before their life passed away. Yet, they believed in the one that God foretold that they never saw or met. Jesus tells us in the New Testament that seeing is not believing, but believing in the one in faith in whom we cannot see, that the Bible pro proclaims in that faith is what saves us. You see, the great message of the prophets to us is I don't know that anyone, I doubt it very much, that anyone in this room has ever personally, physically, walked and talked with Jesus or had a cup of coffee with him down at the local cafe or, you know, Starbucks. But yet we believe in him, right? In faith, that he was the Son of God. And although we don't see him physically and touch him, and we believe in him and we talk to him in prayers and allow him into our heart. Part of the message of Christmas and this relationship from the prophets is being able to believe in the only begotten Son of God that in this life, we will never physically see, and yet to trust him with our all. Then there were the shepherds. Some people respond like the shepherds. I mean, the angels appeared before him in this radiating way, a great choir joined them, and they wondered what this was all about. In other words, they were scared to death about what was gonna happen until the angels told them. But the shepherds give us a beautiful message of hearing the message of Jesus the Savior has been born for you today in the city of David. They didn't just sit there and continue to ponder over this message. They didn't even go to the library and look up manuscripts about Jesus. And whether it was real or not, they didn't form a committee. They didn't even form a prayer group to pray about what they should do. Do you know what the shepherds did immediately? They ran to Jesus to see this amazing gift of God. The message of the shepherds is simply this. When we hear the gospel message that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the only way to salvation is through the only begotten Son of God and Jesus Christ, that it is a gift of His grace. It is not based on our works and our accomplishments. It's a gift of God if we only believe. No, no, we don't sit around and wait on that message, but we respond immediately. We run to the Savior. We don't have something else that's more pressing and more important. We don't have to really think about it and wonder. We don't have to study about it. We simply respond to the gift that God has given us in His Son and accept that gift of salvation in relationship to where once we accept Jesus Christ by faith in relationship, proclaim that he is the Son of God, that he forgives our sins, all of them, past, present, future, and fills us with the Holy Spirit and redeems us through grace. That now we have a relationship with Jesus and those words at the end of Matthew mean so much more every single day that lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That even if perhaps you're a person thinking you're alone this Christmas, feeling a little down about that, that you're not alone. If you have salvation, Jesus is with you. And what greater gift could you have than that? 
to know that Jesus is with you always. So the shepherds responded because they realized at first God's justice for holiness demands payment for sin, right? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. That's the price of not choosing a Savior. But second, they realized when they met Jesus themselves that God also provides a payment for that death, that debt that we owe, through Jesus Christ himself. That he gives us the reality, the consequence, the horror of our own sin and not being able to be good enough or less bad than God. And that weighs heavy upon our shoulders. But then God gives us the solution as well. In Jesus and says, if you will only believe in me, then I will set you free. And the Bible tells us clearly that if you are free in Jesus Christ, you are free indeed. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that can separate you. Romans 2, 4 tells us that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. That behavior that we think, well, I, if I could just try harder and be a little bit better, God will accept me. Or that behavior that says, well, God is love, so he'll just let me in anyway in spite of what I do, are both as wrong. Because the only way into salvation is by opening our heart and responding to the gospel, the good news message of Jesus as Savior, and running to him like the shepherds did. You know, that story still amazes me, and I've shared it many times, but what it, would it be like to just literally walk off the job, walk off your livelihood with the fact of being fired, to run to the Savior to have eternal life? Or I put it that way, it's not such a bad deal, but that's kind of what the shepherds did, didn't they? The Bible doesn't tell us they took their flocks with them. They left them. They left their livelihood to all that could happen to them to run to meet the Savior. You see, that's what salvation really is. It's running away from all we know and can control to come to Jesus who can do that thing for us which we cannot do for ourselves. That's what the shepherds did. And that's what we learn from them. The prophets to believe in one whom we do not see. The shepherds that when we hear the gospel message, we run to Jesus to know that he came for the brokenhearted and the wounded and the hurting to heal them, to be the lifter of their head and to give them hope and a future. All because he desired a relationship. Then there were the magi, you know, the wise men. They were waiting and watching for something to happen. Now, they weren't what we call Christians. They weren't, you know, church people. They believed in other things, but they were always seeking truth out there somewhere that they knew there had to be something out there that was real and worthwhile, and, and, and there were signs about that. And they saw the star in the sky... And again, here's the crazy thing about these wise men, is they gathered up this entourage, and, and some, some theologians believe it possibly cost the Magi a couple of years to get to where Jesus was. Remember, biblically, 
they didn't arrive the night Jesus was born. It was a couple of years later. In the manger nativity scene, where we're like, oh, they all showed up the same night. Big party, you know, shepherds, magi, they're all there. It's all one big happy thing, even though they're giving him burial gifts. What an odd thing with frankincense and myrrh, right? They traveled for months, perhaps even years, to come to this thing, the sign of what was there, to meet this great thing. The wise men, the Magi, teach us that there is something out there that's worth walking away from everything and traveling and doing whatever we have to do to get there to find this treasure of immense value. When they came to Jesus, first off, they took the best of what they had back home, and they did what? They gave it. They gave it. But the real message is, do you know what they did before they gave their gifts to Jesus? The Bible tells us they bowed and they worshipped. Men who had not grown up in the church, those heathens, right? They didn't grow up with religious knowledge, but they knew there was something out there. They saw the signs in the heaven. They brought gifts of value, the best they had to give. But before they did that, when they saw Jesus and they saw the wonders of the signs in heaven, they actually met the person. They fell at their knees and they worshiped. Do you remember what worship is? Worship is giving God a higher place in your life than yourself. It's placing God above you and saying, not my way, but how we say it in, at Guasach, but Yahweh, your way. It's putting God above us, above our decisions and our wisdom and the way we want it to happen. That was the beautiful message of the wise men. To say, God, I've got this immaculate plan built out, and this great, this great thing, I know how the next couple of years are going to work out. I've got retirement here. I've got this. I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do all this stuff. And God says, um, you know what? I was thinking about Zimbabwe. I was thinking about going out to a village out in the middle of nowhere and sharing the gospel with them. Now that hits home a little bit, doesn't it? Especially for my wife. She's like, oh, there's bugs out there. There are big bugs and there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. But that's kind of the reality that if God says, this is what I'd like you to do because we worship him, we put him above us, we say, okay, Lord. And fortunately for my wife, Christy, so far he hasn't called it to Zimbabwe. But what if he did? What if God called us to forgive someone that wounded us emotionally or relationally deeply? What if God called us to love the unlovely and those that are bitter with us? What if God called us to see other people the way that God sees them, that he died for them to save them as well? What if God called us to care for someone who couldn't give anything back? What if God called us to live counterculture? That's not about the stuff I can get in a mass. 
but the gospel I can share and give away. You see, the Magi realized that worshiping Jesus was the greatest thing. Because they brought the best that they had in the gold, frankincense, and myrrh and gave it to them. But that was secondary. That was after they placed him in the rightful place to worship him. And as we shared when we talked about the Magi, worship is what restores us to that relationship with God and gives us that joy. We always think again, what? When things go good, well, I can be joyful. And God says, no. When you can learn to rejoice then I can give you joy. It's just so different than the world. The Bible says God tells us that when you can rejoice in good and bad and hard and famine and with, without, when you can rejoice in all situations, then I will give you true joy and contentment and peace that passes all understanding and looks ridiculous to the rest of the world. It's like, how can you be at peace? Because I can rejoice in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing can take that from me. This Christmas, how much space in your heart can you give to God? Can you give him a little bit more room and worship him? I hope so. And finally, we close with the angels. Luke 2 chapter 14 tells us that when the angels appeared to the shepherds out there that the glory of God, the Shekinah, this immense rays of light filled the night skies in the darkness and the angels cried out and sang glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels gave glory. See, angels are simply messengers. And they came to earth to give us a message to say, when God is in your life, you need to rejoice and give glory. Angels simply, uh, you know, the messenger. You know the old thing, well, don't kill the messenger, right? That brings the message. The angels came and said, when God appears, rejoice and give glory. Because someone great is among you and with you. Someone is here to save you from all things and from yourself. So the angels teach us to give God glory in the way that we treat each other this Christmas season. The angels teach us to give God glory in the way that we choose to celebrate new life in Christ every day. The angels teach us to glorify God when we sing, whether we're on key or off or our timing is right, right? The angels teach us to give God glory in the way that we live every day. The world looks for tremendous experiences to fill their lives and the angel says, just give God glory. From the world's perspective, you could go to a restaurant on the, on the moon, and supposedly that would be the greatest thing, right? To take an Elon Musk ship up to the moon, to have a meal on the moon, and the 
first restaurant on the moon to be able to come back to the earth and, and to say, I was there at the first restaurant on the moon and had the first meal. What a life-changing experience. Well, the sad thing about that is, you know the old saying, on the moon, the food is terrific, but there's just no atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, keep trying. The angels teach us to find our worth, our happiness, our purpose in Jesus Christ, right? And it's, it's a value that can't be stolen or lost or forgotten. That as we give God glory, the Bible tells us that God inhabits and dwells, encompasses, joins with us in the praise of his people. The message the angel tells us is that when we with us, that God is with us. He's not out there. He's not over there. He's here with us. And this Christmas, we take all these messages of the prophets, the magi, the shepherds, and the angels and compare them to the way that the world responded to Jesus, and we choose. And I hope this year we choose the way of the Lord and to respond appropriately to Jesus and the greatest present that God has ever given us and that the world has ever seen. Amen. May God bless you this Christmas season with the fullness, the reality, the understanding the overwhelming joy of Emmanuel, God with us in relationship. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for this day to be reminded of your blessings. And Lord, we know that there are all these things that celebrate the Christmas season, but as Ken so eloquently shared, come January 1, our, our minds are sucked back into the the challenges of the world and anxieties and frustrations. And Lord, help us not to do that. Help us this season to celebrate the real reason for the season and the relationship we have with Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as God, who came to rescue us from ourselves and pay our debt of sin once and for all, that we might have a future and a hope and rejoice in God. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.